Uh, so we've been uh, using, using the life of uh, Stephen here. Um, we, we've obviously been uh, walking through it, following the story, but we're using Stephen as like a case study uh, of what it means to be faithful and uh, what it means to be a witness. And uh, this is the word martyr, in case you forgot. And martyr uh, doesn't necessarily mean um, dying, although it's come to mean that, right? We, we use it in the sense of somebody that has died for a cause. But uh, as we talked about last week, it's much more important uh, about the living that happens before the dying, right? The living that happens before the dying. So faithful living is really uh, what's at the core of this. And so um, the, the, what Stephen is doing is um, what we're all called to do. He's the rule not the exception. And so that's why we've, we've sort of looked at this. And so we, we started talking about last week, the main obstacle to your finishing faithful, to living a faithful life for God is uh, primarily uh, the flesh. And the flesh comes in all kinds of different ways. And so I, I kind of sorted out in maybe uh, four different categories. We covered two last week. That would be sin and uh, temptation or the de- deceit of sin. And then this week, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to, uh, to be wearing out that your flesh is wearing out. You're literally getting older. Your earthly tent, your mortal coil, as it were, is sort of getting older and it's becoming harder and harder to do things, if you will, or work for God. And then the other part of that is waiting or waiting for when um, your, your, um, your time is essentially over here on, on, uh, on earth. And so uh, this morning, let's read through uh, the section of Acts that we've been in. And I just want to remind you of a few things. Can somebody run slides for me? Uh, should have uh, Acts, uh, starting in verse 55, and uh, we'll read this together. It says, but he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, important component there, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he's falling to his knees. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And that leads to uh, the approval of Saul and then, or, or I should say the approval by Saul. And uh, a great persecution then breaks out against the church. And so it's the flesh that, uh, that would keep us from um, being faithful in this sense. And so um, I, I know that uh, your, depending on what demographic you fall in this morning, your reaction to, Mitch, what do you know about getting old? <laughs> Might be like, what, what do I have to say about this? Well, um, I, I'm somewhere in the middle, just like you are. And, uh, and I think that's sort of at what, what's at issue here. And we talked about last week the, the, the reality that we are called to something. And that is to, to run in a way that... Uh, that uh, is, is throwing off the weight of sin, that we would run after uh, God in, in a way that, that shows that we're motivated, that shows that we're um, leaning towards the finish. And um, there's a lot of things that keep us to that. And so I, I know that um, maybe I don't know specifically your particular situation, but I do know what it means to, uh, to, to call you to the same standard that Scripture does. And so um, God has called you this morning to persevere, to persevere in spite of whatever condition you think may uh, disqualify you or give you that asterisk so that you can just sit down in the middle of the race. And so that's the picture. Just imagine somebody starts a race and they run hard and then about 10 meters into it, they just sit down. They look back. They said, I've gotten 10 meters this far. And so that's enough progress for me. I think this is good. It shows that I've, I've done something in life and then this is probably appropriate, right? 
Or you see somebody and they run almost to the finish line. They're just, you know, meters away from it and they stop right before the finish. They say, well, I'm tired. I've run hard. I've run hard for most of the race and here I am at the end of my race and I think it's time for me to take a break. And uh, both of those situations, you'd be like, well, why? why? You, were, you were doing well. Why, why not keep going? And so um, this, this, uh, this gives us a metaphor or an analogy for the way that we sort of run our lives of faith. And uh, I think this happens because um, the reality of what we think about when we work for a living also permeates our idea of what it means to live for God. Meaning we have this idea of retirement that's somewhere in the back of our mind while we're working as a job. And so we think maybe somewhere in the Christian life, there's retirement. And so we stop running the race somewhere along the way, either because we're tired or because we think we've made enough progress or because we don't know where we're at in terms of where the race is, or even maybe the finish line seems so far away. And so it's not even worth continuing to run with that kind of effort. And so we sort of give up along the way. And so I want to talk about why this is a problem. And so this comes to us uh, in a familiar way in Genesis chapter 3. So let's start at the beginning of where our um, where the flesh will get the best of us. So in Genesis chapter 3, just after the fall, um, there's consequences to that fall. And so I'll remind you uh, of what God said to Adam because of sin that had entered the garden. God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Okay? And then thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Okay? So part of the fall was the subjection of creation the actual created order that's earth itself to the curse and the corruption of sin. And that's the part about thorns and thistles being part of what comes forth. But also accompanying that is the fact that we ourselves are cursed with the toil part of it. By the sweat of your face, by the work that you put in, you'll have to bring forth fruitfulness. So whatever it means to live a life in God's creation and doing so faithfully and fulfilling our purposes is now accompanied by this, this secondary thing, which is that we kind of wear out, that things are corrupted and they're different from the nature of which God originally created in. And so we're sort of, we're, we're, we're sort of going through life and things break and they wear out and they're corrupted. And so we sort of join with creation itself now in longing for something better, we know that it's not perfect the way that it is because we age and we get sick and it's hard, it's hard to do things and produce fruitfulness. And so we long and we groan and we wait and we anticipate and we desire for the thing which God promises will come, which is the renewal of creation. So this comes and is recapped uh, looking forward in Romans chapter 8. And so Paul helps us to look forward as he sort of encompasses what's happening in the curse. And Romans 8, starting in verse 18, says this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of the present time is whatever you experience right now in your mortal body, in the flesh, right? The hard work, the diseases, the sickness, whatever it is, that's the sufferings that happen to us. But they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. For creation waits, creation that's the created order and we ourselves, the creatures, wait with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Futility here is, is not mean that it won't do anything. It just means what it does is not enough. It doesn't totally fulfill. And it doesn't, the creation was not subjected 
um, willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And then very importantly, in two words, in hope. It's subjected with a curse. We experience things, they're hard, but there's hope in that. What is the hope? Well, it's looking forward because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's to, to belong to God, to be in his presence. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So that's what we experience even now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he's got both there. We're waiting for creation to be different than it is, but also our bodies are, are wearing out and it's hard. And so we, we want something better. And so we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies as well as creation itself. And for in this hope, we are saved. This is the hope of resurrection. This is the hope of glory. This is the hope of what Jesus will do in renewing all things, okay? So then he says this in verse 24. For in hope, this hope we are saved, but now hope that is seen is not hope. So now he's moving to the fact that your experience is not going to help you with the hope. If you look at your situation right now and you look backwards at whatever it is that you've experienced, that will not be the force of hope moving forward for you. Okay? So again, if you, if you just look at your current circumstances and the way that you feel right now, you're not going to be hopeful. But he says the reason is because the hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already has, right? If your body was already glorified and creation was already uh, gloriously perfected, you wouldn't have hope of something forward, right? It would just already be there. It's something you're already holding on to. So no, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. And this is an atrocious translation here of patience. Because you think there, that means be complacent. Just settle down for a minute, right? But that's not the idea that's actually behind this. It's actually with eager, like eager anticipation. That's the way we're supposed to be hoping. So where you read patience there, uh, a better translation would be eagerly with endurance and perseverance. That's the kind of waiting and hope that we're supposed to be having in spite of the fact that we're experiencing uh, uh, a, a deteriorating, if you will, bodies and a creation. So if you're struggling, if you're worn out, if you're feeling like you're out of the war, you're out of the battle, you're not equipped for it, or everything has passed you by, life, energy, motivation, opportunity, whatever it is, fill in the blank there, is not enough for you to continue on, join the club. There's two ways that this is going to trip you up. By looking backwards or looking at your current circumstances. Because of the curse, looking backwards or looking at your current circumstances will cause you to only um, despise further your condition, and probably give up somewhere early on. Looking backwards will either cause us to be content with the progress we've already made, right? Or it will cause us to, um, to be apathetic or lethargic or complacent because we feel like we've made a certain amount of progress. And so this is pretty much summed up in the idea that you're alive, but you're not living, right? Here you are, you're somewhere along the track and um, you've made some amount of progress, but like if you look backwards, you, you're sort of encouraged to be like, well, at least I made it from the finish line. I'm not still at the finish line. I'm somewhere along the way. And so that's enough for now. But the reality is that you're called to actively advance in the faith. You're supposed to be eagerly anticipating. That is an active thing, not a, not a patient sit down and don't do anything kind of waiting. The other thing is that we look at our current circumstances or whatever condition we find our bodies in and it leads us to throw up our hands and say, well, what can I do? There's either so far, there's, there's too much distance to cover now. It's not worth it. Or we say, I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too restricted. My ability, my income, my time, my knowledge, my courage, my health. 
I have too many other responsibilities. I can't fail those. I'm not motivated. That doesn't sound very interesting to me. That's not my calling. I'm bored. I'm not happy. I don't have the relationships, the friends, the family, the spouse, the support. And so we look at the current circumstances of whatever we're in and we then decide that we won't advance any further. So I'll remind you of where we started last week so that you can be reminded what we're called to. In Philippians chapter three, in verses uh, 12 and 15, Paul is very careful to remind us that um, there's, there's a standard, but he hasn't attained it. The same guy that says, if you live by the flesh, you're gonna die. If you walk by the spirit, that's life. And he says, strive, strive, do better. But he also says, I haven't attained it yet. And that's an important encouragement. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. That means he has not arrived yet. He says it twice. I, I have not gotten there. But one thing I do, one thing I do, in spite of all of that, the fact that I haven't attained it yet, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. So if you look at what's behind, that's not gonna be good. If you look at your current circumstances, you're not gonna be pressing forward. In verse 14, he says, press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's where you need to be reminded that that's what your standard is as well. If you're gonna run the race, you should run it towards a, a finish line. And that's the upward calling there of God in Christ Jesus. And then in, verse, in Philippians 4, verses 1 and 2, he, he, we're told that he, he looks forward um, and, and, uh, by looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And then, I'll remind you also in Hebrews, we read this scripture. Therefore, since we're surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you just think about the, the story of where Stephen's life is, this encouragement should cover us all. This isn't just for me. It's not just for staff. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for the elite or deacons. It's, it's for everyone. It's not just for old people. It's also for young people. Young people see this call and they might say, that's, that's legalistic. You're, you're too burdensome on me. So this might produce some indecision in our lives. And so we justify our lack of straining forward towards an upward calling because we think that the task is too great or that we've already made enough progress. So looking backward at the course isn't helpful and looking at your current circumstances isn't going to do enough for you. We don't know where we're at on the, on the course, if you will. If you just imagine your life as a race and faith as a race, that's how Paul makes the metaphor. We don't know what time it is, where we're at on the track. Psalm 90 says that if a man lives about 70 years, that's about a good stretch for us. And then he says, if you're really blessed by God, you might get 80 years. And some of you are like, well, I, I'm against the odds right now, right? Do you guys know what the life expectancy is in the U.S. right now? I'll tell you, it's 81 if you're a female, and males are always short for whatever reason. We don't have as much uh, life preservation instinct, I guess. It's 77 if you're a male. And here's the reality, that as you draw closer to that age, whatever that age might be, your awareness of where you might be on that course is going to heighten, right? But you don't know where you're at necessarily on that course. You would ask the question, either how much time do I have left? Do I have much time left? Or you might make the mistake of saying, I have a lot of time left, just because you're young and you think, well, I've got some years left. 
But scripture reminds us that we should not presume upon the graces of God to give us our next breath, let alone the morning sun tomorrow, right? And so here's the reality of what we know, that our earthly tent will wear out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, uh, starting in verse 16, I have this. Go ahead, Arnie. Uh, this is Paul's encouragement. First, he says, like, um, well, let me, let me just read what he has here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll walk backwards, okay? So he says, starting verse 16, don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, the outer self is your body, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look uh, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That sounds a lot like what we just read in Romans 8. It's not about the hope that you're holding. It's not, the, it's not the thing that you see that should give you hope. So it's anticipation of something else. So even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, and this should help us to look forward. So for the things that are seen are transient. The stuff that you're looking at, the earth and the, all that's in it, and you included, is, is going to go away. It's going to pass. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The, the, the very being inside of you, your soul, that's an eternal thing, but I can't perceive it in you. And you can't see it in me, right? There's a spiritual realm that we are not privy to with our physical senses. Does that make sense? So that what is unseen is the thing that persists beyond the transient life that we live, right? In the physical world. So he says this, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent, right? So right now in our bodies, we groan longing to put on a heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. He said that twice now. Do you think Paul groaned a little bit? He's, he's worked it in twice. We're groaning in our tent because it's hard. For while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. So he says, look, if you're, again, going back to last week, if you just think of your body as this uh, physical thing that's causing you to sin, you're, you're being Gnostic in your thinking. He's saying, by, by putting off your, your body, you're not being unclothed. You want to be further clothed with something that's better, right? So we're burdened right now, but we don't want to be naked. We want to be further clothed so that what is mortal, that's the thing that's passing away, may be swallowed up then by life. And he has prepared us for this thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. And we know that where we are home in the body, um, we, while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, going back to the stuff that you see is not going to help you move forward in this race. So we're, good at, we're of good courage. He says that twice now. And we would rather be away from the body um, and at home with the Lord. So he said we groan twice, but he also said that you should be of good courage twice. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay. So I, I put all of that before you to let you see how, how Paul sort of lays out. Um, he's given us the, the race metaphor, but he's also said, look, you're, you're embodied in this mortal tent. It's going to wear out. And there's some looking forward and some waiting inside of that tent that's going to cause some different reactions out of you. And my um, hope today, my goal today, my aim today is to get you to not um, despise the waiting or look at the, the race wrongly and to understand what it is to move forward in that 
even in spite of the fact that the outer person is wasting away. So Stephen's life, we see, is, uh, is, is cut off in a way that we would call unexpected, right? He's, he's doing his best. He's serving God in every opportunity that he's given. He, he seems to be very gifted. Uh, his speech before the Sanhedrin is second to none. It's the, it's the longest recorded sermon in the whole book of Acts. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of curious to us why it is that God would choose to, live, uh, to, to end his life sort of in a way that we would say tragically or early. So we don't know what kind of potentials could have gone differently, but certainly the temptation for Stephen and this temptation for us is to always keep our life intact and to avoid difficulty or to avoid things that would cause us pain or discomfort. And we like as much quality of life as possible. And so when our bodies become old or sick or diseased or we have trauma and we start to believe that it's okay then to give up on the race. And so we just sort of sit down on the course. And um, in terms of our thinking about why, why would a physical ailment or why would just being tired in general then remove you from the spiritual race? Well, there's no retirement in scripture mentioned because there's no point at which we're told to kick back. There's no point at which it says, hey, this is far enough. Go ahead and rest now. You've done enough. Until the point where you see Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's when you can kick back. That's when your race has ended. There's no point where we're invited to coast and ride it out. But we have a retirement mentality, and this is what I'm trying to warn us against. We're called to stop living in a way that, that serves us in, in a way that instead to serve God. We're supposed to struggle and fight and also win against the flesh. So our outer, our outer self is wasting away. That's confirmed that that tent is groaning and it is hard. But the reality is that you have an inner being that is not wasting away, that we're told is being renewed. There's, there's something about it that can go on uh, intangibly without being decreased in any way. Even though your brain and your mind is somewhat biological, like you could be afflicted with something like Parkinson's or, or dementia or something like that, that, that causes your uh, ability to, to reason and think, even though there's a physical component to your mind, what Paul's talking about here is really your very being, your soul, your will. And that's the thing that can be renewed. That's the thing that the Holy Spirit affects. That's the thing that the Holy Spirit uh, is bare. Oh, bores again. I don't know how to say that in the past tense, but that's the, what, the, what is reborn by the Holy Spirit. And so the transformation and the renewing of our minds and our inner self becomes important. The inner man is what the Holy Spirit is exerting influence on. And it's what's renewed by our saturating ourselves in scripture and in Christ. The renewal is present and continual and the effects then must be the same. So that's Paul's encouragement there. Therefore, being always of good courage, being continually of good courage, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're of good courage. Why? Because we have access to the renewal of our being. The course is not endless or impossible. So I want to give you two resolutions on, on the waiting and the wearing of your tent. Okay? And the first one is this the advancing in this course or the race so that the running, the striving, the overcoming is spiritual progress that's embodied, not bodily progress that is spiritual. That's a careful distinction. So I'll say it again, okay? Your your progress in life is 
spiritual progress that's embodied in a physical body, not physical bodily progress that is spiritual in nature. Like you don't gain anything in the flesh, but you gain things spiritually while in the flesh. Do you make, does, is, am I making a clear distinction? If not, maybe this will help you. Uh, you may be aware of a woman by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. She's been in a wheelchair uh, since a swimming, uh, a diving accident longer than I've been alive. In a very real way, she is limited in a physical capacity, but spiritually has made progress far beyond my maturity or what maturity I would hope to achieve. So there, there is sort of the distinction about the fact that your physical body does not limit your spiritual maturity. Does it make sense? So progress in the race, again, now let me make the distinction, progress in, in your course, in your race, advancing forward, is spiritual progress that's embodied because you're in a body, not doing a lot of work physically to make spiritual progress. Do you see that? And so we make that mistake thinking, well, I'm tired. I can't do anything for God. Well, this betrays the fact that you thought you could even when you were capable of doing maybe, quote unquote, more physical labor for the Lord. But that was never what God called you to. And maybe you've missed that. So being tired or worn out or diseased or whatever it is has not prevented you from still advancing in the race. It's not your willpower or your power at all that it can accomplish anything. So Galatians 3 Verse five lays this out clearly for us. Does he who, so, so Galatians is um, a, a tragic book in the sense that uh, Paul is, is frustrated with the Galatians who started so well in the faith and then they've gone back to the law. They've gone back to their own strength, their own, their own merits for trying to advance forward. And so in uh, chapter three, he's, he's rebuking them and he's reminding them of how it is that they advance. So he says this, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works, mir- um, and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is, is it by your works? Is it by your working for God that he's giving you the spirit that you're advancing or... Is it because um, he, he gave it to you in the spirit and it's by hearing with faith? Well, this is, uh, this is an important distinction for us to make. It's, it's all throughout scripture, Ephesians 6, 12, one that you're um, familiar with. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. You, you don't do battle. You're not making progress in your physical ability to do anything. You cannot fight, win, or prevail in your own strength. So putting off the flesh is even not a physical thing, but a, a spiritual accomplishment. In Jesus' words to the disciples when they're wondering about how it is that, uh, that someone can be saved if it's so hard. And Jesus says, it's impossible. It's impossible with man. It's impossible in the flesh for you to accomplish this. Now, Jesus isn't just trying to condemn anybody trying to make an effort, but he makes the distinction that with God, all things are possible. He's inviting you to take the win there. It's impossible on your own strength, but it is possible with God by his spirit and being renewed day by day, being washed by the water of the word. And John 6 verse 62 said, it is the spirit who gives life because the flesh is no help. How much help is the flesh? None. You can't add anything to it. So the only hope that you have now and forevermore is by advancing in the spirit and spiritually. And then Jesus goes on to qualify that same statement by saying, the words that I've spoken to you our spirit and life. So if you want to advance, it's by knowing God's word and by being obedient to it. And so we forget that God is the one who empowers our doing, 
not our own physical strength, irrespective of our age. So finishing well when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you think that you're not qualified, when you don't have the ability anymore, is about reminding It's about being reminded of the fact that you were never advancing on your own anyway. So it's not about mustering a, hear me carefully, a different kind of ability. It's not a different kind of ability than you're already trying to engage in. It's remembering who started your faith and how it was given and what sustains you and what continues you and what ultimately will finish your faith. That's why we're encouraged to look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He's not just the author. He's not just the one who started it. And now you're on your own. Best of luck. I know you're going to wear out at the end. He's given you the means to complete the race faithfully. So the question of where is the finish line, it becomes all the more important. So we talked about the problem of looking backwards, creating despair or complacency or pride and looking forward can change the way that you walk by advancing towards a specific goal. And how you look at the course and what you look at while you're on the course depends, uh, will, will uh, determine how you walk on that course. And so the second resolution here is that the finish line is closer than you expected. The finish line is closer than you expected, and victory is not a destination at the end. It's a continuous experience of walking in faith. Okay? When, when we think about what it means to run the course of faith in life, we think about, I have to get all the way to the end and I make sure that I win the race. And uh, so for, that, for us, the prospect of running for, we don't know how long the, the distance is between now and whenever the Lord takes us home. And so we might think of the prospect of that as really daunting. How long can I carry perfection? Will I be able to get to perfection by the time I get to the race? And the perfection is not what you've been called to. The finish line, the distance marked off, is not a destination. It is a process. It's not something you have to get to. It's just the next step. It's not a place. It's a process. This initially might sound cruel, that the finish line would always be moving. But the distance is out of our reach. We're we're told that. Paul says, look, I I didn't achieve it yet. I'm not there yet. I I haven't made it my own, but I'm striving after it. But he says the striving after it is, is the goal. The goal is the striving, not the, dis, not the distance at the end of it. And we, we miss that. You cannot, you cannot hope to arrive at perfection. And this is actually very gracious for us. It's merciful. It makes the very next step the potential finish line. But then the, the next step is also the next potential finish line. And so on and so on. And do you see this? Because if the weight of getting to perfection was all upon you, you would give up. You would wear out. And so that's not what you've been called to. It reduces the weight of trying to carry around everything on our own. If you had to win the race and perfection was the standard, um, it's, I'm trying to make a good analogy. It's like giving you a wheelchair with a flat tire and telling you you have to beat Usain Bolt in his prime through the mud, okay? Like, you just wouldn't do it. You would give up. It would be too much. And so it's very merciful that we're called not to the end of the course, but just to the very next step. And we see this in the phrase, the upward calling. This is what Paul tells us 
that we're supposed to be striving after. So it says, uh, go ahead, Arnie, that's the next one. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. So there he calls us to run in a way that uh, is enduring, that runs hard. And then he says, we look to Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith, um, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of God. I'm sorry, keep going to the next one because this is in Philippians 3. There it is. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straight forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. Okay? Pay very close attention. The, the goal is the prize, and what is the prize? Does he say the end of the race? He says the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is the prize. That's the finish line. That's the distance he gave you. So let me helpfully define this for you. The upward calling means the, the, the heavenly placed um, position, the state that you've been given. The, 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 the calling there has to do with uh, a relationship or a task. So all that you've been called to do is reflect the fact that you've been um, seated in heavenly places with Christ, that you actually have new life, that you actually um, belong to God. It's not the fact that you have to be God, that you have to be exactly like Jesus. So the goal is not exasperating or unattainable standard of a lifetime of perfection, but rather it's just the next step of faithfulness. The next step of faithfulness, because we can't live perfectly like Jesus, but rather to live with Jesus. This is, this is what Paul says. He's like, look, look at the cloud of witnesses. Look, look at my example. I'm just striving after him. So follow people that also strive after him. You're not going to ever get ahead of him, and you're not ever going to meet his standard, but you should strive after him in a way that shows that it's just the, the next place, the heavenly calling, the upward calling is what it is that we're supposed to see as the finish line. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. Reorient your understanding of what it means to work for God and how and what your purposes are and what the race actually looks like and how it's run and why it's run. And this will re- redefine for you what it means to, to serve him faithfully. And it's not such a daunting task. This is what the renewing of your mind will produce, what it means to live and work for God. We have the example of Jesus. We have the example of Stephen himself living for as long as he's given. We have the example of the apostles. We have the example of Paul. We have a great cloud of witnesses we can look to. But finally, you are meant to join with those. In Psalm chapter 92, it says this, The righteous flourish like a palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So um, these are are established plants. They have great roots and a large trunk, especially the cedars in Lebanon. And he goes on to say, um, they're planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of God. That's where God's dwelling uh, places. That's his presence. And then in verse 14, it says, they still bear fruit in old age. Why do they bear fruit in old age? They're ever full of sap and they're green. In verse 15, he tells us why. To declare that the Lord is upright. He will fill you with life. He will fill you with um, fruitfulness, even into your old age. Why? So that you can declare that the Lord is upright and that he is your rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Um, we get into the mindset I'm going to assume some things now that when you're, when you're old, you're, you're tired. And so you say, well, I don't know what I can do to aid the church anymore. 
I don't know how to serve God anymore. Or I'm, I'm, I'm tired. It's, I've did my time. It's, it's the young people's time and they should do more. And maybe some of that's true. But you would feel less anxiety if you realized that you've not been called to, you know, move cinder blocks every day. That's not advancing your particular race and it's not supporting the church. That's not what Jesus has called you to. You can still bear much fruitfulness for the church and for others and God by being and participating as one of those witnesses. But listen, it's really hard to encourage somebody else in something you have not done yourself. How can you encourage me to, to, to say, you can do it. You can be faithful. It might cost something. I've walked through that before. Let, let me help you. Let me encourage you. If you're not doing that, if you've given up somewhere along the way and you said, I'm retired, I'm good. I've gotten far enough. I, I, don't, I still have the back to carry the cinder block. If Jesus asked one of us to carry the cinder block, I promise you I'll step up. But listen to me. Old saints, give me your eyes. You can support us with prayer. What did Jesus say at the end of the parable about, about the, the workers in the harvest? He didn't say, get out there and give me some more harvest. He said, pray that the Lord would send more workers. There's only two options here. Either Aaron's here because God brought him here and we prayed for it, or he showed up here to, uh, to be a, a, a tear among the wheat. And I think it's the first one. You know, Nothing will be accomplished in this life spiritually for you, for the church, for anyone without prayer. I mean, that's the, like, it's the greatest thing, but it's the bare minimum. If you don't know what you can do, start there. Surely God has not prevented you from that, and you don't need much physicality for that. Am I wrong? Okay. Young people, <laughs> you too have been called for the race for as long as you can, um, for as long as God gives you time. Everybody say whatever. 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 You've been called to a whatever life of faithfulness. That means whatever God gives you to do, whatever he gives your hands to hold, whatever he puts your feet on, whatever it is that he gives you to do, do it faithfully. That's what you've been called to do. God is not calling you to an additional work. The problem is we separate those out and we, this is where the retirement mentality will get you. There's the, I've worked my life to do these things, to support myself. And the idea of supporting also the church or living a spiritual life feels like an additional work. But God has not called you out of the station that you're already in. That, that, that upward calling occurs two other times in scripture. And both times it talks about the, the, the place in life that you're at. And one time it's um, in first, first Corinthians, I believe, seven. And he says, look, if you're a bond servant and Jesus calls you, it's okay to remain as a bond servant. If he, if he allows you to buy your freedom, do it. But remain in whatever station and whatever calling you have. So here's the same thing. Wherever you're at, that's your place to be faithful. He's not called you to leave that and do something else as a separate race. That is your race. So let me combine all of this for you, okay? There's two concepts I give you to chew on. You're running the race for the goal of the upward calling. The finish line is not perfection, but progress. 
Your race is not a competition between you and the rest of the world. It's not a competition between you and me or you and the Bible or you and Jesus. It's just the next step of faithfulness. Make progress. It's advancing towards Christ and faithfulness. The heavenly-minded, renewed mind, spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered following of Jesus. So that each morning, each moment, each challenge, and the whatever that God gives you, that's the finish line. Second, recognize that in the midst of this, it is God who is calling you. It's God who is helping you. It's God who's equipping you. It's God who's empowering you. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, not your flesh. Psalm 76.25, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire, I desire no one besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But it's the spirit that works even in our weakness, even in our frailties, even when you have nothing left, even when the tent's worn out, even when you're groaning, even when the thorns and thistles are coming. I'm getting rowdy and I'm spilling my communion. <laughs> we depend on the spirit for everything, not on ourselves. Okay? Some things are simple and easy. Some things are simple and hard. Some things are complex and easy, and some things are complex and hard. This is that last one. It's not an easy thing to articulate, and it's not an easy thing to do. But it's the reality. It's not an easy thing for me to say, God's called you to keep moving. But you need to hear that he's called you to it. But he's also given you whatever means necessary to advance forward in the next step. Don't try to plan the whole race. Don't try to comprehend the whole plan. Don't try to get to the destination in one step. Just ask God to use you for his glory in the whatever next moment he gives you in the next challenge, in the next season, and I guarantee you he will do so. Let's pray. Father God, you're good and you are our strength and our portion.